I have met parents who have great ambitions for their children. They're hoping to shape child prodigies academically, musically, athletically, artistically. They spend time and money on camps and lessons and trainers. And there's nothing wrong with providing children these advantages. But you can do all that I've mentioned and more and not fulfill a parent's purpose. As we learned last session, above all else, a parent's God-given responsibility is to teach their children obedience and respect. For left to himself, a child will disobey and go their own way. A child needs to learn to obey and to honor, and he or she won't learn it from this world that we live in. It's a parent's purpose to teach them. We're studying Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul's principles for parents. And remember the acrostic that's serving as an outline for our studies, PTA, a parent's purpose, a parent's tools, and a parent's avoidances. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And then in verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Again, last session we talked about a parent's purpose. We need to teach our children obedience and respect. You win a child's respect while you insist on their obedience. And you teach him to obey by employing two tools. The training and admonition of the Lord. Or to say it another way, correction and direction. Paul is saying that godly parenting is a blend of both discipline and encouragement. Training and admonition. <clears throat> As Martin Luther once put it, Spare the rod and spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he has done well. In other words, to be a good parent, you need two tools. You need a means of disciplining rebellion, and you need an incentive that encourages respect. Or as Martin Luther would put it, you need a rod and an apple. My second son, Nick, was a great kid. But he was a kid nonetheless. And there were days when Nick, with his high energy motor, like all kids, would push our limits and test his boundaries. One such day when Nick was about five years old, he had pushed and pushed and pushed, and he had pushed me to the brink. Finally, I sent him to his room. While I went into the kitchen to fetch the dreaded wooden spoon. I was just about to dish out some discipline when Nick looked up at me through these teary little eyes and with a quivering voice he asked me, he said, Dad, when you finish spanking me, will you give me a great big hug? Well, that melted my heart. I mean, what an anger diffusing, daddy disarming, mercy motivating comment for a child to make. And being the loving, compassionate father that I am, guess how I responded to my son? I said, Nick, of course 
You know daddy will give you a great big hug right after I give you the spanking you deserve. Then I took that spoon and I applied the discipline that my child needed. For I believe it takes warm hugs and wooden spoons to properly and biblically raise a child. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 insists that a wooden spoon is as sure a sign of a parent's love as a warm hug. Hebrews 12 verse 7 says, What son is there whom a father does not chasten? According to Hebrews, the parent who only uses warm hugs and never employs the wooden spoon really doesn't love their child. Today, I want to talk to you about using both. Both warm hugs and wooden spoons are the tools needed to teach your children obedience and respect. First, let's talk about the training or the discipline of the Lord. The Greek word in verse 4 translated training is the word padeia. It means to educate through discipline. There's a large private school in the city of Atlanta. It's known as the padeia school. And it's the fitting name for a school. For we are to educate through discipline. The key to disciplining your children correctly is to ask yourself the question, is the discipline I've chosen providing a learning opportunity for my child? The point of discipline should be education. Discipline is to train, not torture. It's to prepare, not punish. Proper discipline will accomplish three purposes. It will correct. It will protect And it will perfect. It will correct, it will protect, and it will perfect. First, proper discipline corrects a crooked course. It pulls back on the reins that a kid who started to buck and rebel. It pulls back on those reins and it keeps them in check. It trumps their wrong choices. Kathy and I had kids who liked to assert their independence. And that was good. We encouraged it. We let go a little at a time. And they learned to flap their wings. But if they strayed too far off course, it was our job to step in and ground them and pull them back. A parent has to be wise enough to recognize a wrong course and then brave enough to put their foot down. My job is to teach my kids that privilege and responsibility go hand in hand. And that you don't get the privilege without first accepting the responsibility. Here's a great quote from a wise mother. Her name was Susanna Wesley. She raised two godly sons, by the way, John and Charles. Her words are 200 years old, but they're timeless. She said, in order to form the minds of children, the first thing to be done is to conquer the will and bring them to an obedient temper. To inform the understanding is a work of time and must with children proceed by slow degrees. But subjecting the will is a thing which must be done at once. And the sooner the better. For by neglecting timely correction, they will contract a stubbornness and obstinacy which is hardly ever conquered. Whenever a child is corrected, it must be conquered. Self-will is a root Of all sin and misery. Once my sons and I, we were walking across the football field after my son Nick's practice. Well, Zach, my oldest son, he was about 15 at the time. 
And as we're walking across the field there, he says to me, he says, Dad, why don't you take your glasses off and wrestle me? I think I can take you. And he really meant it. His brothers were shocked. They couldn't believe it. Their jaws dropped open. The order and stability of the world they knew was under threat. I said, oh, you think you can take me? Well, I took my glasses off, handed them to my youngest son, Mac. And in five seconds, I had Zach down on the ground in a full Nelson rubbing his nose in the grass. The world was right again. <laughs> my two younger ones breathed a sigh of relief. The kid had underestimated the old man, and I had to correct his attitude. Of course, it was all in fun. But trust me, there have been other struggles with my kids that were no fun at all. They were draining and they were agonizing. With toddlers and with teenagers, there are lots and lots of wrestling matches. Attitude corrections are a constant occurrence. And your child needs a parent who can wrestle and win. If I have learned nothing else about child rearing, I know one thing. A parent better win the battles. Kids need to know who's boss and that it's not them. The last thing you want is for the patients to take over the asylum. Well, our discipline needs to correct crooked courses. But second, good discipline also protects. When my kids were tots, I would spank them for running out into the street. It wasn't punitive as much as it was protective. I wanted them to view the street as a dangerous place. And so I had to create an effective deterrent. My goal was to erect an invisible wall between them and the traffic. And when they became teenagers, I was still erecting walls to protect my children from harm. A parent's job is to build moral and spiritual walls around their kids. Every parent is a Nehemiah. Do you remember Nehemiah? He was the Jew who returned from Babylon to rebuild the demolished walls of Jerusalem. The previous wall lay in rubble. The city had become a wasteland. For Jerusalem to prosper again, the city needed new protective walls. And when I look at our society today, I see a Nehemiah-like situation. Morally, we are a wasteland. Spiritually, we're in ruins. Notions of truth and absolute values have been abandoned. Walls of right and wrong have been torn down. And if our kids are going to thrive spiritually, we need to rebuild those walls of truth. Speaking of Nehemiah's efforts to rebuild the walls, there's an insightful verse we're told in chapter 4, verse 13 of Nehemiah, where he stationed his guards. In essence, what part of the work he considered to be the most crucial. He says, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. Nehemiah's chief concern was the foundations, the lower parts of the wall, and the openings. And this is where a parent needs to focus their discipline. Oppose any threat to your child's foundation, their belief system, and then watch at the openings, their exposures to the outside world. 
Be attentive to what your child believes and receives. And this is the area where a parent not only battles the evil in the world, but often battles their own children. For kids want to watch the hip movies and listen to the cool music and tune into the popular TV shows and have unlimited access to the internet even when they're accessing moral filth and spiritual garbage. Curiosity and peer pressure combine to produce a blindness in our kids. And at times, they just don't see why we say no. Reminds me of the kids who wanted to see a movie of which Dad did not approve. They explain, Dad, it only has four curse words, one sex scene, and some mild violence. But the special effects are incredible, and the good guy wins in the end. Dad still put his foot down. Well, later that night, the dad, he walked into the kitchen to make some brownies. The aroma sort of wafted through the house. Kids came running, licking their chops. But just before they took a bite, he told them, he said, Kids, I just put a little bit of dog poop in with the brownie mix. It's not a lot. It shouldn't spoil the taste. They're still good brownies. And, of course, no one ate the brownies. And the wise dad wanted his kids to see the obvious. If a little bit of dog poop makes brownies inedible, why doesn't a little filth in a movie make it unwatchable? Parents, it's up to you to just say no. To build walls for ourselves first, and then for our kids. I don't go to R-rated movies. And while they were under my roof, neither did my kids. And did my teenagers always appreciate my standards? Not hardly. Not now at least. See, a parent loves their kids, yet at times they're hated for insisting on what's best for them. A mom and dad have to remind themselves that they're not running for re-election. The goal of every parent is not to be popular, it's to grow healthy and godly kids. Trust me, one day your kids are going to thank you for not standing idly by and letting them load their minds down with trash. Mark Twain once said, When I was 16, I thought my dad was a fool. When I was 21, I was amazed at what the old man had learned in five years. In the meantime, I've adopted Nehemiah's battle cry. Chapter 4, verse 4, Fight for your sons and your daughters. Parenting involves a fight. Proper discipline corrects, it protects, but then third, it also perfects, or it matures our kids. And this kind of discipline begins in infancy. Put off a feeding to stay on schedule. That's good for your child. It teaches your child discipline. Forbid a child from interrupting your conversation. They need to respect their parents. Respond to a request with not now and require some patience on your child. Your child needs to learn patience. When you delay gratification, it disciplines and builds character in your children. Pediatrician John Roseman once wrote, A child isn't going to develop the strength of character to say no to things like drugs, alcohol, and sex in the absence of parents who themselves don't have strength to say no when the child whines for new video games, the latest in stereo hardware, or a new car. Every child needs parents in their life with guts to say no. 
It's been said children are like stomachs. They don't need everything we can afford to give them. A child develops self-discipline from parental discipline. Kids don't need to be overindulged and given everything they want. They need to learn how to suppress a desire and to delay gratification and do without a whim and to turn from a temptation and to put a principle above convenience. Proper discipline corrects, it protects, and it perfects character. For kids to grow into responsible adults, they have to learn that certain actions carry painful consequences. And when a parent disciplines, we allow that child to taste a healthy measure of those consequences. My discipline of my kids followed a three-pronged approach. First, I gave them a reason. Second, I gave them some rope. And third, I gave them the rod. I gave them a reason. I gave them some rope. And then I gave them the rod if need be. First, I would give them a reason. I would sit down with my kids and explain the logic behind the law, the reason behind the rule. I I never tried to follow my no with that stock parental excuse, just because I told you so. That's often a way for us to cover up our lame parenting. Hey, if a rule doesn't have a good reason behind it, then it probably needs to be discarded. Although sometimes, the only reason I could ever offer my kids was for saying no was a caution or an easiness that I felt from the Holy Spirit. I would tell them, I said, guys, I just don't have a good feeling from the Lord on this. Normally the activity would have been okay, but if I had, didn't have a peace from God, then my kids were taught that was the best reason for all not to go and do it. Whenever a parent says no to a child... We should be able to provide them a reason and some logic behind our decision. And yet, let me warn you, your reason might not satisfy your child. For kids aren't always interested in our logic. So that's when I would give them some rope. I'd engineer a controlled crash. I would sort of lift the parental safety net just enough to let my children taste a little of the uncomfortable consequences of their defiant actions. When they were old enough to understand my instructions and yet ignore them, then I made sure they suffered the consequences. If their shoes weren't on when it was time to go, then they went in their socks. We didn't fight about it. We just loaded up and they went without their shoes. They didn't have a morning time. If they ignored my advice and left without a jacket when it got cold, then they just had to bear it. They had to go without a jacket. I didn't fight with them about it. We just left without a jacket. If they didn't eat their dinner, they went to bed hungry that night. A few minutes of cold or one night without dinner is not going to kill your kid. I didn't fight about it, but I didn't bail them out either. I just gave my kids some rope. And I allowed them to experience the natural results of their foolish actions. Sometimes it takes a child experiencing the byproduct of disobeying the rules for that child to understand the reason that those rules were established. 
I'll never forget when my son Zach was a sophomore in high school. One day I went to pick him up from school. He had baseball practice. And when I opened the car door, rather than thank me for coming to pick him up, he immediately began to complain about me being five minutes late. I was so upset, but I didn't get angry. I didn't act upset. I calmly took his book bag, threw it out on the pavement, and told him he could walk the three miles home from school. Now, I secretly shadowed him most of the way that he walked, but it made a different impression on him. To this day, he remembers it. He was suddenly more grateful. Don't always argue. When you can just give your kids some rope, give it to them. We learn best from experiencing our, the results of our own bad decisions. But after giving your child a reason and then giving your child some rope, if she or she, he or she still doesn't learn the lesson or if the consequences of the violation are too severe, too painful to let them taste, then you need to manufacture some less painful consequences to get home the point. Say I tell a six-year-old not to play in the street, and he disobeys. Well, I'm not going to sit back and wait for a car to blindside him and then say, well, that'll teach him. No, when the consequences are too severe to let my child taste them, then it's up to me to manufacture some less painful consequences. And in the case of that six-year-old, I'll get him out of the street, and then I'll spank him myself. I'll give him the rod. Parents, here are the three steps to good discipline. You give them a reason. You give them some rope. But then if you have to, you give them the rod. Now, if you ask, Sandy, please, please now, do you really believe that God wants us to spank our kids? My answer is a very qualified yes. And here are my seven qualifications. First, never spank your child in anger. Never. Cool off before you apply the heat. Count to ten. You may have to count to ten again. Or again, do whatever it takes to get in control of your emotions. Never spank your child in anger. Second, make sure you're spanking for the right reasons. You don't spike a child for being childish. That is, spilling a glass of milk or forgetting a chore. My word, kids are going to be kids. You only spank a child for a deliberate act of defiance and rebellion. A parent's job is to curb and control their rebellion, not crush their initiative. A third qualification is never spank a child on the face or the arm or the head or the ears. That's not discipline. That is abuse. Note the genius of human anatomy. God created the human posterior with extra cushion. Thus, he identified the place that we should paddle. Spank your child where God has put the extra padding. The rod is only for the rump. Fourth, I tried to not spank my child with my hand. I never wanted to spank my child with my hand. I always looked for a neutral object. A leather belt sometimes. A wooden spoon worked for us. 
But when the scripture talks about spanking, it always speaks of the rod. You want your child to fear the rod and welcome your hands. Fifth, be consistent. Often parents get lazy in their discipline, especially when it comes to spanking. Don't just spank when it's convenient for you to do so during commercials or during the halftime. You wait till halftime, son. That's laziness on your part. No, you need to discipline when it's needed. Discipline with diligence. Act when the need arises. Six, the sixth qualification. Always make sure your child understands why he or she is being spanked. Remember the biblical definition for training. It's to educate through discipline. And then seventh, make sure the punishment fits the crime. It's been said, don't shoot a mosquito with a bazooka. Reserve the rod for what deserves the rod. The degree of pain you inflict on the child needs to be in proportion to the degree of the child's defiance. But if you meet all these qualifications, then absolutely I believe that God wants us to spank our kids. Proverbs 22 verse 15 is clear. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 13, verse 24, dares to say, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Real love restrains his kids. Once a mom used a wooden board, a paddle, in fact, to spank her kids. It hung in the kitchen just below a plaque. The plaque read, I need thee every hour. While growing up, the kids never knew if the plaque was referring to the Lord or the board. After they became parents, they realized the answer was both. Now, here's a good question. What about teenagers? Do you spank a 13 or 14-year-old? And I suppose you could try. But here's the observation I've made about teenagers. By the time a kid turns 13, he's hardened on both ends. His head and his fanny. The rod no longer creates the desired effect. It bounces off rather than sinks in. The rod may no longer be an appropriate tool. But remember the reason for the rod. It's a substitute for the natural consequences of an act of defiance. So if you don't curb a child's rebellion with a rod, you better find another substitute. A form of discipline that manufactures enough pain to be a deterrent. Here's my advice. Find something to make him feel the consequences of his actions. And in the case of a 16-year-old, the effect of pulling the rod might also be now confiscating the car keys. That might be much better, in fact. Or pulling a cell phone. Or a weekend grounding. But you need to find what communicates to that child. You know, Bill Maher is a liberal commentator. And trust me, I agree with very few of Bill's opinions. But he did make a comment about fatherhood that resonated with me. He was once asked, Were you and your dad good friends? Bill Maher replied, Friends? We're friends now. But while growing up, I didn't need him to be my friend, but my dad. The idea of dads getting mushy and being friends is overblown. Dads are supposed to be the guy who tells you right from wrong. And I couldn't agree more. I want to be my child's friend. And today I'm friends with all three of my sons. 
I've done all kinds of activities to cultivate their friendship. But I also know at times a parent's place is in their kid's face. My kids have lots of friends who will tell them what they want to hear, but they only have two parents who will put their foot down and insist on what's best. Thus, when it comes to training or disciplining your children, take a three-pronged approach. Give them a reason. Give them some rope. And then if you need to, give them the rod. But along with the rod, please, 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 don't forget the apple. For along with the wooden spoon, we need warm hugs. As Paul puts it, the admonition of the Lord. I'm convinced we often spank our child for doing wrong because we haven't given them enough praise for doing right. Some kids draw more attention by getting into trouble than they do by trying to do good. Your kids need the rod of correction, but they also need the nod of approval. Over a lifetime, a person will have a multitude of critics. They need their parents to be their cheerleaders. When my kids go out to spar against the world, I want them to know that their mom and dad are in their corner, that we're on their team. I love the story of Derek Redmond. He ran the 400 meters for Great Britain in the Barcelona Olympics. Derek cruised to an early lead and it looked like he was going to coast to victory until he pulled up in pain. He had torn an Achilles tendon and he collapsed in the last 50 yards. But then a beautiful thing happened. All of a sudden, a man jumped out of the stands. It was Derek's dad and he ran onto the track. Derek's dad grabbed his son by the arm and helped him cross the finish line. Derek didn't win but he fulfilled a dream by finishing the race, and it was thanks to his dad. The human tendency is to take the path of least resistance. Kids are prone to give up without a fight. They need to be taught that mountains can be climbed. They can be leveled. They need their parents' encouragement. Notice Paul tells us here in our text that we're to admonish our kids, not just with simple encouragement, but with the admonition of the Lord. And that takes it up a notch. For God's encouragement is inexhaustible. He looks over us with great pleasure, but to do so, He first overlooks so much. He refuses to be embarrassed by our failures. He's determined and persistent not to let our sin sidetrack His love. Romans 8 is adamant, nothing can separate us. From the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. The apple that God uses to motivate his kids is unconditional love and acceptance. And it is the sweetest tasting apple you'll ever bite. And God wants us to extend that same kind of love to our kids. Love your kids with God's love. Famous painter of the 18th century, Benjamin West, once explained why he became an artist. One day his mom left he and his sister Sally home alone while she went to the market. When she was away, the kids found a bottle of ink and a pen. And Benjamin tried to paint a picture of Sally, but he made such a mess. Ink was everywhere, and the kids feared what mom would say when she got home. But when Benjamin's mother walked into the house, she ignored the mess completely. She picked up his drawing and she said, My, that's Sally. And then she planted a kiss on young Benjamin's head. 
In the years that followed, Benjamin West would often say, it was my mother's kiss that made me a painter. Our kids need to be encouraged to pursue what's healthy, not just punished for what's harmful. I'm thankful for my parents who, just like God, overlooked my messes and recognized my God-given talents and gifts. They provided me the opportunities and encouragement to develop those abilities. God fills our kids with boundless energy and ideas. Their parents, it's our job to channel it all in the right direction. Here's a story of a not-so-famous painter. One day I came home from work, and I was met at the back door by my youngest son, Mac. He was five years old at the time. He grabbed my hand, and he led me to the picture hanging from the magnet on the refrigerator. This was his masterpiece. Realize now the faces were green, the sky was orange, the clouds were brown, the grass was red. But Mac was so proud of this picture. He was looking for my approval. And I made a big deal about it. I said, this picture is a fabulous piece of art. After my rave view, a huge smile appeared on my little son's face. And he said, Dad, I thought you'd say that. And it made me so happy to know that he was accustomed to my support. That he looked to me for that support. Parents need to love their kids with an unconditional love. I didn't think I would never need to be reminded that I needed to love my kids. We had such lovable babies. Oh, they cuddled and they cooed. When I held them, love just oozed out of every pore. But it didn't take long for those same lovable kids to start turning up their nose and talking back. Ever heard of the terrible twos? The term was coined by a parent whose kid didn't live to be three. (laughs) For it only gets worse. The terrible twos turn into the defiant fives and the sarcastic sevens and the whiny nineties and the testy tens. And then they become teenagers and your babies are no longer cooing. They're now bucking and they're kicking. And loving them is much more of a challenge. And by the time your kids become teenagers, they've now been around long enough to embarrass you and disappoint you. They've made mean, ugly comments to your wife. They've even lost a few of your tools. Your teenagers are not as lovable as they once were or as deserving of their parents' love. But they don't need it any less, mom and dad. Kids of all ages need that sweet-tasting apple to go right next to the rod. They need your love. In verse 4 here of our text, the Greek word translated admonition, it means to direct a child's mind. And this is the vital role of a parent. God tells parents to steer their child's thinking in positive directions. It is a parent's responsibility to encourage his children to think about God about God's ways and will, about the life that God enables. In essence, the parent is the captain on the deck of a child's thought life. A wise parent doesn't do the thinking for his child, but he does control the rudder. It's amazing. We'll be careful with our child's feet and our child's hands. 
We don't let those feet wander off too far. We don't let those hands grab something that doesn't belong to them. But we're not so diligent with our child's mind. It's been said, open lots and open minds gather trash. We need to aim our children's minds in a positive direction. It'll yield constructive results. Like Nehemiah, we need to be concerned with the openings. Not just to keep the enemy out, but to put the good stuff in. We need to give our children pleasant things to think about. Deuteronomy 6 taught the Hebrews how to convey spiritual values to their kids. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, you teach your kids while you live life with them. As you walk with your kid through challenges and trials and disappointments and triumphs, you're always looking for the teachable moment. As you live out your faith and apply spiritual values to practical issues, you share it with your kids. This makes all of life a Bible study. The kid on the baseball team who throws a temper tantrum suddenly becomes your opportunity to talk about the importance of self-control. A peer's rejection is the springboard for a discussion on why your child's security needs to be in God and not in other people. Nervousness before a test is fertile ground to teach the power of prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit and the importance of studying every once in a while. Read the Bible and pray with your kids, but do more than that. Apply the Bible to everyday stuff. Your kids will see that Jesus is real and that Christianity is for today. One Christmas, a neighbor of ours a few streets over had a nativity scene in his yard. And it was so lifelike. It was complete with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. And my kids, for some reason, were attracted to this nativity scene, especially Natalie. She was just three years old. One night we were on our way home and Nat wanted to go see baby Jesus. It was late and I wanted to get home. Her older brother, Zach, always the pragmatist, explained to his sister that that baby was nothing more than plastic. (laughs) But to Natalie, that manger scene was so real. She said she just wanted to tell Jesus how much she loved him. When I took my daughter into bed that night, she was still crying because she couldn't go see baby Jesus. And I had just settled into my chair when suddenly God pricked my heart. I walked into that room, I scooped up my daughter, put the blanket over, and we drove back to that nativity scene. And I'll never forget, standing there in that front yard, she and I talking about how much we love Jesus. After that night, I never tried to miss a teachable moment. I like the old Scottish proverb, better felt than telt. When it comes to transferring our faith to our kids, applying a spiritual lesson, living out a spiritual truth is always more effective than merely hearing a sermon. Well, in closing, a parent's purpose is to teach their kids obedience, and respect. And we have two tools, training or discipline, and admonition or encouragement. But maybe today it's the parents here 
who need the encouragement. Being a parent can take its toll. It is not for the faint of heart. Maybe you've been in a fierce fight for your family, and quite frankly, you're worn out. You've, you're tired of fighting the world, even your own kids. You've been giving it all you've got, but no one seems to appreciate your efforts. Let me tell you a funny story that I think provides great encouragement. An incident occurred on the streets of East Hampton, New York. It made headlines. A group of 11-year-old girls were together. and One of them was heard screaming, Daddy, Daddy, please don't sing. Please don't sing. As a side note, this is a great tool for a parent. If your child doesn't want to obey, just threaten to sing. Nothing motivates a child more than the threat of a parent singing, especially when her peers can hear. This is every child's worst nightmare. Even this little girl in East Hampton, New York. Yet it's ironic that 11-year-old girl was none other than the daughter of Billy Joel. Millions of people love to hear Billy Joel sing, but apparently not his 11-year-old daughter. And here's great encouragement for us parents. If Billy Joel's daughter doesn't appreciate her famous father's singing, don't be surprised if your kids don't appreciate your parenting. At least not now. Not at the moment. I'm sure one day they're going to see it different. And they're going to muster a thanks. You might even become their hero right now. The goal is to just be faithful. A parent's purpose is to teach their children obedience and respect. And it's done with two tools. With the rod and with the apple. With the training and with the admonition of the Lord. Father, we thank you again for your word to us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a deep love for our kids. Despite the disappointments, despite the frustrations, despite the wrestling matches that we've been enduring of late, Lord, renew our love for our kids this morning. And Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, help us to know how to effectively discipline our kids. Lord, help us not assume. Help us give them a reason for our instructions. Lord, help us to give them the rope. And allow them to taste their own consequences of their actions. And Lord, when need be, help us to manufacture the appropriate consequences. Lord, work in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Help mom and dad both be on the same page. Help them discuss these things as they, as they continue on through the day. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to teach our children obedience and respect. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.